You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. Hi, I'm Tim Robertson. I'm the publisher of MyMac.com, and this is MyMac podcast number 235. This week, we've got an interview with Dom from Dollar Apps. We're going to be talking about big words and his other apps. We're going to talk about menuing on the Mac OS X with David and Guy. And then Mark joins us for a discussion on Airport Express. Do you use it? I've got it, and I never use it. But David, Guy, and Mark use it all the time. Thanks for downloading. Enjoy. And like I said, this is my Mac podcast number 235. We're joined by Mark Rudd at the top of the hour. Hello, Mark. Hey, hey, everybody. How are you doing this week? Awesome, man. Nice and warm and sunny Cal. Yeah. What what applications are you been running lately? What's the big one that you've been using over the last week or so? Well, to be honest with you, uh, I've been really messing around more with uh, the Google app on my iPhone and yeah. Google Docs on my computer. So I guess I'm kind of Google-centric right now. You're, you're, you're a Google man. Yep, I am. <laughs> we also have David Cohen. Hello, David Cohen. Good evening, everybody. So what's your app this week? What's the one that you've been using a lot? I've had the misfortune, I'm afraid, to be using Office 2008 for Macintosh because oh. I've been working working on a pile of files for work and uh, want to use them on my Mac, and it's just horrible. It is horrible. Uh, every, every, Every time I use it, I encounter new strange bugs, and this thing's had like over a gigabyte of patches applied to it already. It's crazy. But um, so I think I think I'm probably going to have to uh, set up a VMware session on the machine and run the Windows version. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, 2007. I've heard yeah, it's a lot better than 2008 for the Mac. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not much more stable. Uh, I don't know if you're a, a big uh, Microsoft fan or not, but we also have Dom Segola. He's with Dollar App, and of course, the guy behind uh, Big Words. And what's the other application, Dom? Hello, everyone. The other application is Math Cards. Math Cards. Are you a big Microsoft user at all? I do my best to avoid Microsoft at all costs. <laughs> at all costs. At all costs. I don't blame you a bit. So, what's going on in the the world of Dollar Apps? What's going on? Well, uh, right now we are looking at math cards and how to improve it um, and possibly build upon it. Uh, the, uh, the app itself was, was written in a framework that's easily extensible, so we can build other cards, other, other types of quizzes, um, and we're listening to our users and uh, reading their reviews and seeing what we should do next. Is the new iPhone software 3.0, the development, is that going to change uh, either big words or math cards at all? Is there uh, big plans probably, in store? The, it'll change every app, I think, that I produce. I, I'd like to incorporate in-app purchase and in, in pretty much every experience. Um, because I, the idea behind Dollar App was to ship something that does one thing very well for $1. And, um, you know, it stands to reason that you should iterate, um, you know, do more things or do one thing better uh, over time. And that may be worth more than a dollar going forward. So I think, I'm thinking that... Each app that I do, maybe starting with math cards, I don't know how it would work with big words, but uh, you know, ha- have the ability to basically get better functionality or more functionality after it ships. 
within the app as as you desire. You know, software has been doing this for years. You're you're using an old version, and every three or four launches, it it jumps up. In fact, Apple's own software, like iLife, does this. Hey, did you know there's a new version? Blah 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 blah. Click here to buy the new version. You can do that now with, you will be able to anyways, with uh, iPhone 3.0 software. So let's say we came out with Big Words 3.0, and we had some you know real nice new features in there. Well, we don't want to necessarily offer that as a free upgrade to, to the current Big Words user, but how difficult would it be to update the older version so you'll get those pop-ups saying, hey, would you like to purchase the new version? Actually, so what happens is that when you do upgrade any, or make any update, uh, you can you have the opportunity to charge more for it. And so when you do that and the user is presented with a with the update dialog, just like you get an, any old update for any app that you have. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. then it goes it says, Oh, we'd like to, you know, put in your password because you'll be you'll be charged X amount of dollars. Um, and that's so that experience is sort of built into the app store. Um, so- and but there's another functionality with three SDK that is sort of more interesting than that. And that is you have an app that has built into it Additional functionality, extensibility, um, exactly, and so or or you get that via the network, um, and so you don't leave the app to actually get the additional functionality, and that's the that's the interesting model I think, because in the first case you're updating via the app store on the phone, in the second case you're actually staying within the application experience, and um, it's a huge difference. Yeah, so it actually is much it's it's bigger deal than it may seem. Um, and removing barriers to, to purchase and spending money on your phone is where, where Apple does the best work. So they just make it easy, and this is just one step easier. Could uh, it? Staying from the app. Th- I think I've said this a couple weeks ago that this is microtransaction done right. No one's really got it right up to this point, um, and that's exactly what this is: is microtransactions within the app, small amounts, um, but it could add up to big dollars in the long run. But could you also use this to promote other products? So if you're in big words. And you're, you you know you launch it every fifth one or something. It pops up and says, uh, "Would you also be interested in math cards?" And you know, click here to buy math cards. Could you do that, or can you only do it for purchases of that application? You could do that as a part of your application, as part of the application logic. Um, but it, I don't know if it would. Uh, you know, I don't know. Actually, I have not played with it. The in-app purchase infrastructure isn't available yet. I think you'd uh, tick a lot of people off doing that, to be honest. Yeah, but it's it's sort of a user experience question. I mean, I, I actually think the challenge with this new functionality is going to be to make it elegant and done right. And I think there'll be a lot of people using it for nefarious purposes of all kinds. And I think Apple will be on the lookout for that. For that, um, they already they have a pretty strict uh, interface guideline for the way to um, uh, deal with um, you know cross promotion of, of and, and and you know basically telling people where they're going when they do something. Um, you know, I've heard tale of people having their app rejected for pretty, pretty minute, acute problems. So uh, they'll be they'll be it'll be very interesting to see how people use it, and also to see what is successful. I, I haven't figured exactly yet exactly how to implement it in, in uh, big words, but I think math cards is fairly straightforward. Uh, we would have maybe different types of math, um, or different maybe different levels, like uh, make it harder or easier. Um, you know, fun, fun things like maybe little mini games we can we can include if you get it right, or oh, that uh, animations cool. that come along. I mean, I, there are a lot of different. I'd like to see it where um, instead of creating kind of a phantom economy of like guns and blasters, and you know, 
nuclear weapons in your game, I like to see it where people continue to focus on the value of a dollar. So you say, uh, you know, the app was the app shipped for five dollars. Say it's a game, and you are given the opportunity to upgrade to another level or make, have a cheat code or something like that. Um, you know, d- defaulting to the one dollar price, I don't, you have to actually build a lot of stuff for me to want to spend an extra dollar on your game in, in proportion to the money I already spent. I can see so, something like, uh, and I know this is a, a game that everyone seems to to talk about, and for good reason, it's probably one of the best games on the iPhone. That's Field Runners. Ah, uh, if I'm you could have, if, if it popped up and said, "Would you like to buy for one dollar um, the ability to have, I don't know, ten thousand dollars at the beginning of each game?" I would definitely spend a buck for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. This is why I bring this up. I think actually, phantom phantom economies uh, of of in app purchases are going to be an issue. I don't know if whether it's going to be great or if it's going to be sort of problematic. Um, the thing is that you, it's so addictive, so easy to spend money on your iPhone. I get my bill every month. I'm kind of surprised. I'm like, oh yeah, I did buy that game. It was five dollars. Oh, I did spend that dollar on that song. You know, and then I'm, it adds up. And I, I think. When you get people, because these games and these experiences are so compelling, uh, when you get people c- needing to just say okay to keep going in their experience, um, I think we're going to see a lot of people spending a lot of money. And I think it's going to be an issue going forward. I think well, I, that, agree, uh, I agree with you. I agree with you, Dom. I think that uh, the, the the seamlessness of being able to do that within the application itself and how it can be integrated in with the whole experience is going to give people, provided the content is good. Obviously, if it's good content, they want to spend it. Make it as easy for them to spend that money as they as it as it possibly can be, and then uh, I think it, it's going to kind of expand this whole environment, the whole app market environment for developers like yourself. The nice thing, yes, you're you're very very right with that. Um, the nice thing that I see actually, and your comment sparks my thought, is um, I think it's possible we'll see more apps at a dollar, and then yeah. we'll see. Value increasing as as usage increases and as content comes along, and we'll see a lot of magazine subscription type things. We'll see uh, maybe books starting out a dollar, and you get additional content or exclusive content for additional money. Um, alternate and all ending ninety nine cents. There you go. I mean, there are def- many different models, and, and but I think the encouraging thing from my company standpoint is that I think we'll continue to see a focus on the value of that one that first dollar. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So that'll be interesting. I would say that there's there's two different um, schools of thought that I have with it. A, you can't nickel and dime your customers to death because it'll turn them off. And if too many developers try to nickel and dime everyone, I think it will sour the user experience on the iPhone. And, and that can't happen because um, I don't want it to. <laughs> I, I want to keep using my iPhone, but I don't want to have... You know, twenty apps on there that are constantly bugging me to to purchase additional content. That being said, for developers, this is a great. I mean, everyone has already heard the debate about you know the developers aren't making enough money uh, if they're selling it for a buck because the ecosystem seems to support dollar apps. Ooh, that'd be a good name for a company. Um, <laughs> it seems to support dollar app companies. Um, more easily than the companies that are selling a, a $9.99 or a $20 game. Um, if you can initially sell your game for $0.99, cent, a very basic version, and get people you know hooked on it, and then slowly but surely get a little bit more money out of them as time goes on as they play it more, that's perfectly viable, and that's a, it's going to be great for the developers. It's going to put more money in their coffers so that they can further develop the games. 
Hey, yeah, Dom. Think, uh, go ahead. Just a question about um, kind of related, obviously, to the 3.0, but as a developer, um, do you see there's kind of a, a little bit of a debate amongst iPhone developers and the community at large about the the new push notification scheme that uh, Apple is uh, building into 3.0. Um, do you have an opinion as a developer? Do you do you see that? I know probably the programs you're using right now may not take advantage of that, but where do you see that? Is it is it something that that will be uh, good for the iPhone, or do you think we need background processing? Um, I'm actually really excited about it. I I don't want background processing um, because I'm not a good enough developer to really be judicious with the amount of power I'm consuming. I just the stuff I want to do it wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe the idea itself is actually flawed. But I the idea that I have to take advantage of push notification service or PNS as it's called is to take advantage of the sound, the sound alerts that you can have. Um, beyond As opposed to the irritating uh, screen window that comes up, right? Well, there's that. There's the, there are a couple different alerts. You can have the... You can actually create sound. You can uh, update the ticker on the app. There's a little, uh, you know, the little circle number on the app that tells you there's more notifications coming in. And you can bring up an alert on the screen. I don't know mm-hmm. if you can. I haven't looked into this whether you can actually make it vibrate or not. Probably you can. Because uh, you can I, I would imagine so because games already take advantage of the vibration on the iPhone. Exactly. So you must be able to. So, so my so, you know, obviously the company I have is built on simplicity. So I want to focus on one of these features first. And actually, like you, I, I find those um, visual notifications, these interruptions, quite disturbing, just kind of annoying. Annoying, I yeah. should say. So, so I'm not going to go with that. I get enough of those as it is. Um, I don't really want to deal with the design implications of having my my badge number update. I don't really like those too much either. When I see that, I, was like, I kind of feel obligated, and I feel like, ah, <laughs> got to make that thing go away. Yep. So I'm going to focus on the sound. And um, yeah. I, without giving away the farm, I have a pretty creative idea for how to make um, an app come alive with PNS and sound. Cool. Awesome. Very good. Anything you want to touch on before we uh, wrap up with you, Dom? I'm sure. Well, the next thing that I'm doing with Dollar App, actually... Um, Aftermath cards will be a book, and it's called 140 characters, and it's on the topic of Twitter, both the history of it and also how how best to use it. Basically, it's a style guide for the short form. Cool. And and I'm um, gonna publish it first on the iPhone platform. Oh, that'd be awesome. It's gonna be fun. Dom, I'm thinking. Go ahead. What, what uh, Twitter made the change recently of moving from replies to mentions, and so. Um, you know, a lot of people have been complaining that it's kind of changed the way they use Twitter. What What was your view on that? Ah, so I was kind of using it that way anyway. Um, right. Already. So to me, it's a little bit like a save me a step. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, kind I of think agree. it is interesting. I, I, I do think that the replies or the at symbol itself is, is probably the most interesting community-driven change that's come to Twitter since it started. Um, it didn't support at replies or at mentions uh, when it first shipped. That was a sort of a, a habit that came from IRC and other chat communities that people started using and Twitter picked up on and said, oh, these people are using it. They're expecting a certain functionality. Well, what are they, what are they expecting? And they started building it. And it, they supported it kind of peripherally for a long time. And um, up till now, there's been kind of sort of a, a dichotomy between those people who really rely on that and think of Twitter as a conversation utility and right. folks who don't really get into it and kind of don't want that. Um, 
there are folks obviously in the middle, but uh, I was personally for a long time kind of hesitant to even use the function because I don't like having my stream clogged with a lot of replies that don't add value um, or don't add the context that I'm looking for. So I can't, you know, for example, if I see at reply and it says yes after the at reply, it's like, well, what are they talking about? I've got to go click in and read that if I'm really curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of got used to the feature, and and now I see it as a way to interact with the people who are my readers that I don't that I don't already know. Um, so I see it as a way to see who's talking about what I'm saying, um, as opposed to as a way to kind of literally converse with people. Because I go, I go straight to direct message after I see someone reply to me, uh, most cases, right. unless I feel like I want to retweet that or if I want to add value or add a conversation or, or a moment or a link to that, I will. But generally, my use of the at mention system is, um, is as a consumer, and then I use direct message to go back to that user. Right. So when's the book coming out? Um, I have I have not set the complete schedule. Um, I'm right now discussing the plan with some publishers, and I think that'll set the schedule. But it'll go to iPhone first, and then other electronic means, and then to print. So, so if you um, right, if you I'm actually go print, if you go with a publisher, say Peach Pit or you know whoever, um, how does that work with publishing on the iPhone? Do you do you handle the publishing on the iPhone internally, but you give them the publishing rights to the print? And maybe the uh, the digital version online, or how does that work? I have that same question, and I'm I'm lucky enough to have an agent who's handling that the answer to that question for me. Well, I'd be interesting um, to know when you get the you know the final say so on how that's going to work because I think a lot of people out there are looking at digital publishing on the iPhone, and, but they would also like to get it in print, you know, and get it in Barnes and Noble or wherever Amazon. Um, and how does that work? Does does the the publisher handle the creation of the app itself that would run on the iPhone, or do so they contract I, that out? That's kind of a, a an interesting question. Through like Amazon with Kindle or something. Yeah, I have that same question. Um, the way I'd like to see people doing it, and not just myself, but I think I'd like to see other people doing this is uh, releasing first on iPhone and and getting people. Getting you know connecting with readers basically, right. getting their feedback, getting their um, uh, readership, and leveraging that and saying, well, I have you know so many downloads. Uh, let's go to talk to a print publisher and see what that means to them. Um, I think it would quantify a lot of a lot of the guesswork that happens in print publishing right now because what happens is you go in there, you have a proposal, and it, can, it includes some sample chapters and your outline. And if it's a not if it's nonfiction, if it's fiction, then usually you have to get the whole thing done and give it to them. Um, before they'll even, you know, give you the, any, any estimates or any kind of advance, let alone uh, marketing. Um, so what I'd like to see is folks creating actually things of value and delivering them and then seeing what the print publication process actually adds in terms of value. Um, because I actually see the iPhone being disruptive in more than just the game space. I think that, that what, what I've seen and what, I've, what, I'm, what I'm feeling is that people haven't quite tapped the potential of iphone as a reading device i agree um a lot of that though has to do with uh the screen size and people can't seem to wrap their heads around reading uh long form on the iphone as opposed to an email or a web page or what have you but i think it's a perfectly viable publishing system i think a lot of people will start taking advantage of it pretty soon so yeah what i've done is actually the book itself that i'm writing um we're we're editing it in pages an eight and a half by eleven, but I have kept every paragraph to between two and four sentences, and so 
it looks it looks good on iPhone, and that's my goal is to make it read well on iPhone first. Um, because if done right, I can reach a lot of people really quickly that way. Well, a lot of people, and, and obviously the the money would be a lot better for you. You're going to get a much higher take with that version of the book as opposed to uh, regular publishing. Right. <laughs> and actually, I do feel, and a lot of the people I'm talking to feel the same way, that uh, the readership or the um, the audience or the the basic market uh, between folks who would purchase it on iPhone versus the folks who would go to a bookstore and get an actual print book um, are pretty separate. Um, there's a slight overlap, overlap, and maybe there's some upsell from the iPhone to the book, um, and maybe an even smaller uh, upsell from the book to a companion app. But uh, I actually think that there's a sort of not a great overlap between the folks who would buy an electronic version and the folks who would get a print book. Yeah, that's just my feeling, and I, I you know, it's hard to validate that, but um, I'm kind of working on that assumption with the uh, strategy for 140 characters. Uh, we're running a little bit long on this segment. Any last thoughts there, Dom? Um, no, thank you again for having me. And um, oh, you know, anytime, man. One thing I'd like to say is that. Uh, I, my friend Raven was hoping to join me today, but he did give us a message, and that is he he and I are both planning iPhone Dev Camp 3. And when up. is that going to happen? And that's going to happen this summer. We're looking at August. So a couple months and after WWDC. Yep, we're going to give a little while after the announcement of whatever comes out at WWDC. Uh, we're planning to give a little breathing room for that thing to actually ship. So you, you think it. that we're going to have a, a new version of the iPhone? Or something that runs the iPhone platform, maybe? Uh, I well, I would. They have a really good track record of um, the past two years, so I would imagine that something's coming. I don't know what it is. I don't want to make any assumptions. I have my hopes, but uh, I know there'll be something. So we'll see what it is, and then you know we'll have a community gathering around that. Well, I'm hoping it's a new iPhone because my wife has finally figured out that she kind of wants one. So I've got a first generation iPhone, which she will get, but I don't want to buy a brand new 3G iPhone if there's something right around the corner. So. A lot uh, of people I know are in the same boat. Well, they're a lot sort of people bought that first-generation iPhone, and their contract runs out this summer. Yep, it's a it's a question. Well, what I'd say is this: uh, this is what I say to anyone who's, who's really considering getting an iPhone or upgrading or whatever. Um, don't don't hurt yourself. Don't do yourself a disservice. Like, get the best you can when you need it. Uh, you know, if you have to upgrade and get a new phone, get it. Think about what it would mean to maybe trade up if you had to. Um, but um, you know, get it when you need it. Don't don't hurt yourself. Like, I, uh, I say the same thing about Mac. Yeah, if you need a Mac, get a Mac. Don't yeah. wait around and wait around and wait around until you know. Always gonna. There's always something coming. There's always three three months maximum mm-hmm. between the time when you buy it and have it in your hands, and something else comes along and makes you drool about the next great thing. I'm just guaranteed. Yep. It's part of the experience. It's what it's it's inevitable. So I you know I know my friends who want an iPhone. I actually. A friend of mine, I just advise just go buy it, get yeah. it, and then think about you know who you'd give it to when you when the next thing comes along. Yeah, but I'm in that situation where I'm uh, we're two months away from WWDC. I uh, think I'll just hold off. My wife can wait a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, two months is probably a little a little bit of it. You can, you can handle two months. You can you can hang in there, right? Yep, absolutely. Plus, you never know. It could be something even cooler. Uh, uh, the app, Apple is known to have something up its sleeve. I, yeah, that's the thing. It's I don't know. It, it, I I got to imagine they've got something coming out really soon, probably within the next two months. Or if if it's just an announcement, I'm going to kill myself because I can't wait too much longer after that. So whatever it's <laughs> oh, going to we'll, be, they had yeah. better sell it when they make the announcement. That's all I'm oh, saying. Oh no, here's here's the pattern. Just so you don't disappoint yourself, um, they do announce whatever it is at that first day of WWDC, 
uh, and then they give us, they'll probably give us a beta of Snow Leopard, right? Yep. A more complete beta. Uh, and give us the date for that. Um, and then they'll tell us that whatever it is that they've announced will ship in a few weeks, which will probably mean three. And then a, a, a month after that is when we'll have iPhone Dev Camp 3. And cool. it'll probably, hopefully cool. be in the city if we can shake it. And we're looking for a venue right now. Um, Adobe has decided to pass the torch on to another great company in San Francisco. And so we're looking for a sponsor to step up and give us the space. Um, or we're looking for available spaces in August, mid-August uh, time frame. Cool. Uh, dollar App is at dollarapp.com. Uh, we also have a link to Big Words on the MyMac.com homepage. Dom, we want to thank you for coming on the show. And, Mark, I know you. you're not going to be on the next segment, so I want to uh, thank you for being on with uh, me and Dom and David. And, David, stick around. You and I are going to talk with um, Guy Searle, and we're going to be talking about menuing on the Mac OS. Great so, to talk to you, Dom. Thanks, Dom. My pleasure. See you guys later. Bye. And thanks to Dom once again for coming on the show and talking about dollar apps. Very interesting. I'd kind of wonder if, um, I don't know, Guy, do you think that iPhone apps is something that we're going to start seeing iPhone developers at the Macworld Expo? Do you think that would be a good idea? Oh, I think that that's a, I mean, that that's a given. I think that's I, and, the future, isn't it? Yeah, and I think IDG would be foolish, and they're not, to, to not take advantage of, you know, just... All the publicity and, and all these these new small developers that are coming out with iPhone products. So we had Paul Kent from IDG on the show last week. Maybe the next yeah. time we have him on the show, we should ask him about that. Yeah. So let's talk about. Yeah, I, men- I, go ahead, David. I was just going to say, I think um, the next Mac World will you'll see the sort of explosion in in iPhone developers that we saw a few years ago when uh, iPod yes. hit hit the show. I think it's going to be just like that. Yeah, hopefully it won't be just cases and cases and cases, right? <laughs> oh, that was horrible. Let's talk about menuing on the Mac, guy. This was something that you wanted to talk about. This is something that you put in the show notes. I found it very interesting. Um, I think it should make a pretty good discussion. What's the deal with menuing on the Mac? What what are we talking about? Okay, basically what we're talking about is, and this isn't going to apply to everyone, but if you have a dual monitor setup, and I know Tim does, uh, do you have a dual monitor setup, Dave? I I do. I've got two 20 inches now. Okay. That's Uh, what she said. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a dual monitor setup, you, you essentially can only have your main menu bar Across one of those monitors. Yep. So if if you're if you're using Final Cut Express or or GarageBand or or uh, Photoshop or, or any program that will really take advantage of multiple monitors, moving your stuff around so that you can see where everything is at one time. Anytime you have to go from one monitor to the other monitor to use a menu command, you know it, it, it's very awkward. And you know I. I Looked online, I could not find a way to have the menu bar on both screens at the same time. Now there were there was one piece of software, and I should have wrote it down, but I didn't. That allowed you with a uh, keystroke to switch the the menu bar from one monitor to another. But that's not really a very elegant solution in my mind. So would you want the the menu bar duplicated on each monitor then? Yes, yes, and whatever the active 
application is, the menu would change on both monitors to that application. What do you think, David? I think you would find yourself in breach of the uh, Apple user interface guidelines if you did if you're able to do that. I think that's why um, that's why um, you can't do it at the moment. Um, now, there's there's a separate argument on whether that needs updating. There's kind of a there's a a philosophical difference here between Mac and Windows systems. Windows systems have the menu oh, in the and window. Linux and Linux as well. Yeah, um, which is fine when you have a single modal app where it only has one window because you can always find the menu but it gets really confusing when you have multiple windows open and they yes. all have a different they'll have different menu on the other thing as well is because the menu is in the application um it can change and uh it can sometimes it can change depending on what you're doing in the application which uh, is kind of discouraged by having the menu bar in the in the mac system that's always at the top um, and the advantage is you always know where it is because you will know it's at the top of your screen. Right. Since you mentioned this in, in the show notes, Guy, and I curse you for this okay. because I never really thought it was a problem until you pointed it out to me. <laughs> and now I find myself resenting every time I have to drag my, uh, drag my uh, mouse pointer from one window to another to go and hit the menu. Well, and uh, you've kind of planted the seed of, oh, wait, maybe this could change. I don't know. Well, you know, one of the preferences in um, monitors when you're running two monitors is you can either have it expand your monitor. In other words, if my setup, I have my 23-inch cinema display to the right of my iMac. And so anything, you know, if I if I move my mouse to the right, I go from one monitor over to the next. But yeah. you can also mirror it, so whatever's on one monitor is exactly the same thing on the other monitor, which just kind of defeats the purpose of having two monitors right. to begin with. Exactly. But what if there was one more checkbox that says simply mirror menu bar? That would be fabulous. So if and you click if- something in one window, the, that same, you know, say you, you click the Apple menu, on the main monitor, the Apple menu is going to open on the other monitor as well. I don't see that as a problem. I would I no. would pay twenty dollars for a utility like that. Hmm. I I I, mean, I think we've got to remember that obviously Snow Leopard's on the way, and uh, this there is not going to be in Snow Leopard. Well, well, yeah, you don't but know. there's some there's some major from from what I've been reading. There's some major UI interface changes. Yeah, but this won't be one of them. Snow Snow Let me tell you why. The the biggest reason to have multiple monitors for years and years is because monitors were small. The biggest that you were going to get was this huge 17-inch CRT. And if you're right. working in Photoshop or something like that where you need a lot of different windows open, a lot of people were going out, especially design studios, and they are buying cheap little 13- to 15-inch monitors as a side cart monitor. And a lot of graphic artists would simply put all their palettes on that menu or on that monitor. So you didn't really need uh, the menu over there as well. Plus, it was a much smaller monitor. Right. And that's where the side cart monitor came, dual monitors came from. Nowadays, we're in absolutely the opposite situation. Most machines, most laptops, in fact, all Apple laptops and all Apple monitors are widescreen. The, the need for dual monitors is a lot less now than it was before. Because these monitors are so wide rather than tall, you don't really, I mean... Uh, for instance, a 20-inch iMac, you can have two windows open, and you see them both clearly, side by yeah. side. You couldn't do that on a 17 or a 15-inch monitor. But uh, you have to offset against the fact that um, there's, you know, the growth in Mac sales is laptops, and you know Apple is selling a specific monitor that matches with the laptops. Yeah, but they're and, selling uh, that as 
a replacement to the the laptop screen. In other words, you go home and you plug that monitor and your keyboard and mouse in, and it acts like a desktop. I don't think Apple's really positioning that as a secondary monitor to use with your laptop when you sit down. Well, the thing is, is I mean, for a long time, I've used the laptop as my main machine, and and as soon as you plug a monitor into it, it doesn't take long before you start thinking to yourself, hey, I can open up the laptop and I can have two screens here. Um, And once you do that, of course, then you're in the same problem. Um, So uh, so I'm just wondering whether, you know, this is something we might we might see from Apple at some point in the future them try to address this with a user interface change. Now, whether it would be something as, as obvious and as simple as just uh, putting the menu on both both monitors or whether it be something more a bit more jazzy and a bit more Apple, I don't know. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's hard to imagine what they could do, but, you know, maybe they could have the... How about if the menu bar actually followed the monitor? The mouse. Followed the, Followed the mouse and actually yeah. appeared at the top of whichever monitor you were in. I think this uh, is an opportunity, and I know that there are shareware developers that listen to the show as well as big-name developers that are listening to the show. Um, I think this is an opportunity for someone to come up with a, with a solution before Apple does. And well, I think like they could probably said, make a lot of money. I would pay $20 So there's a developer out that. there that needs to make a quick 20 bucks. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is spend about I don't know fifty hours com- coming up with a solution, and guy will send you twenty bucks. In fact, I'll say I'll send twenty bucks as well. Hold on a second. Go into Apple's tech forums and, uh-huh. and look up dual monitors or or menu options, dual monitors. You will find all kinds of people asking for this. There's there lots go. of people that want this. Well, there's and, a need, and um, there's going to be a solution. I just don't think that most software developers are aware of this limitation to the Mac. For instance, David said a little while ago that he never really thought about it, but then once he heard it, uh, read it in your show notes guy, he went, oh, yes, I need that. Yeah. I think just mirroring the the menu bar would be, be fine. That's exactly <laughs> what I want as well. So yeah. We're going to wrap his, this segment. Go ahead. I was going to say, here's an idea for uh, for Dob maybe. How about a wireless menu application on your iPhone, so that whatever <laughs> wherever your mouse is, the menu appears on the iPhone, and you can just press the, <laughs> bring the menu up. Yeah, that wouldn't be complex. No, not at all. Not at all. So we're going to wrap up this segment. <laughs> we're going to be back, back back to my monitor phone mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to wrap this segment up. We're going to be back with Mark Rudd, and we're going to be talking about the Airport Express. So stay tuned. back for the final segment of show number 235 ah boy that's a lot of numbers so guys Cyril, you're still here david cohen you're still here and we're joined by mark rudd hello mark rudd hey hey everybody glad to be back we we dropped you talking about menuing on the mac and i appreciate all your input during the interview with dom earlier in the show this time around we're talking about the airport express i have an airport express but to be honest I haven't used the darn thing in probably two years. I just don't find a need with an N router. It covers my entire house, and I don't take my laptops outside. But even if I did, it, it reaches out there, too, because if I've got my iPhone on the back deck, I can still see my network. If I'm sitting in the driveway in my car, I can still see my network. 
So exactly. I'm, I'm going to turn this over to you three guys because you guys use the Airport Express a lot more than I will or that I do. I'll still be here, but I I think this is going to be basically you three guys. So uh, who's, whose idea was this? Was this guy? Yeah, it was mine. All right, kick it off, guy. Okay, uh, basically what we're going to talk about is how are you using Airport Express, how can it be used, and what kind of functionality do you think could be added to it that isn't already in it? So why don't you go ahead, Dave? How do you uh, use well, the Airport I, Express? I, I actually think the Airport Express is kind of one of Apple's forgotten products. It's one of those things that's in the product line. Well, not a lot of people know necessarily what it does, and because its name is so similar to Airport Extreme, I think right. they get, get a bit confused as well. But the concept between Airport Ex- behind Airport Express is a, is a tiny one-port wireless router, or, or router as you Americans call it. So um, <laughs> it, it, it effectively does everything that a bigger um, router can do. So it can share your internet connection, um, it can um, act as a wireless access point for your network, but it can do a lot more than that. It was the first product that would allow you to extend your wireless network. So if you have a, a router and connected to your phone line where it comes into the house, if you've got DSL or uh, wherever your cable comes in, and you want to have a strong wireless signal at the very other end of your house, you can use an Airport Express to extend that network um, across a distance and get, and get much more range. But the other thing, and really the cool thing it can do, is it has a, an audio jack on it, and you can plug speakers into it and then you can pipe your iTunes around the house as well. Yeah, like that was actually that was actually like one of the, the things that they really pushed about the product when it first yeah. came out was the the air tunes I think it was called. That's why I bought That's mine right. originally. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I've, I've never used it in that way. What about what about you, Mark? How are you using it? Well, a couple of different ways. Uh, I've used it both as a uh, music extender and of course right now I'm using it as an actual wireless network extender to uh, extend the airport base station beyond. I also use a bridge, an old airport base station, an earlier model, to bridge from the uh, from the original, air, you know, the the current base station. And then I use an airport express beyond that as a wireless extender that takes me out uh, beyond where I where I could go before, and it gives me a really wide range without any uh, significant drop off. So. Um, I've actually used it for those purposes as well as we were talking with David earlier uh, this evening about taking it with you on the road and being able to go into a, uh, a hotel that, that has a connection, let's say like an Ethernet connection, um, hardwire, and you can plug that in and then, you, and then set your room up at, with a wireless router and yeah. be able to move around, which is really nice. Well, that would now, be that, also that's... be very, very convenient if you, if you have more than one person uh, that that needs to to use that same connection. Yeah. Well, that's exactly. that's that's one of that's one of the things I really use mine for. I have two, and what I do is when I go to visit my parents in Florida, they have um, they have broadband, and, and we normally stay in an apartment that's about oh, I was probably about ten or twelve doors down from where they live. Um, we, we, we borrow an apartment and use that. And so, so there's no internet. This, this apartment is empty most of the time. There's no internet. So what I do is I plug the um, one airport express into their internet connection at the back of their apartment and kind of mount it in the window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I mount another one in the window of the apartment we're in, and because the building is curved, the line of there's a line of sight effectively which is is short enough for the signals to travel across the backyard of this building. Right, um, that's why they curved the building. 
obviously they they were thinking about you, Dave. Uh, exactly, and so 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 that means that means that I can take their their wireless their internet connection and wireless extend it to my apartment and use multiple laptops in the apartment I'm staying in and get mm-hmm. get internet. And and to me, the fact that you can do that, the, the thing about that wireless extension is quite a lot of routers can do it, but yeah. there isn't. I've never seen a system that's as simple to use as the airport exactly. one. You literally just plug the plug the things in, uh, go onto the utility and say, "Well, I want to extend a network," and they kind of see each other and just do it and figure yeah. it all out without. Right. And the most other, you don't need to be a techie. You don't need to understand what it's doing. You just kind of say, "Do this for me," and I want it to be working, and it just kind of works. Yeah, and, and basically the only thing you have to remember is whatever your passwords are to either, you know, the the wireless router that you have, you know, whether it's from Apple or whoever, going into the Airport Express so that they're able to speak to one another. Now, for, for the two that I have, I use them in two different ways. Uh, when I was coming back from Macworld... Uh, Tim was kind enough to to give me this this really really nice laser printer, and everybody in the family loves it. The problem is, of course, it's connected up to it was connected up to my computer downstairs. I made him shovel my driveway for the printer. By the way, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, he wanted he wanted me to take this black cat that he had on the porch, but I just refused. <laughs> he said, "No, I'll shovel the driveway." I said, "Okay, go ahead." <laughs> so. The, the the easiest way for me to set this up for the family, besides having my computer on all the time, which is a big pain in the neck, was to get an Airport Express, plug it in, use the Ethernet port to go directly into the printer, set up the Airport Express so that so it sees it, set up everybody else's computers in the house so that so that they can see that same Airport Express and print to it. And it was all done. There was nothing else to think about. That, that only works, though, if the printer that you're talking about that you're using is networkable. Yes, right. yes. Which but, and if it's not, you can always still share it via the USB plug, but then you still run into the thing that you have to have your Mac turned on. Yeah, right. yeah. Now the, now, the other one I have is connected up to uh, a computer that my son Peter uses. He has an iMac G5. Now... The iMac G5s, for whatever reason, and this is documented with with on various sites, has had a lot of problems connecting up wirelessly with uh, 10.5 Leopard. So I tried a couple of different things. Nothing really, really worked that well. So I finally figured, you know, right, the heck with it. I'm going to get an Airport Express, plug that into his room, and instead of trying to have it connect up wirelessly, I direct connected an Ethernet cable from the Airport Express right into the G5 and set the Airport Express to be in bridge mode. So mm-hmm. essentially, the Airport Express is receiving the wireless signal from my airport router down here in the basement. It's converting it, sending it over copper right into the iMac G5. He hasn't had a single problem with Internet connections. since. Yeah, you're almost using it as a network card at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Wireless. That's a clever workaround guy. Uh, well, it's, it's all documented on the Apple site. So, you know, I, I certainly I'm not going to take full credit for it. Uh, it's basically, if you, look, if you look on the Apple site under the Airport Express and, and look for bridge mode, all the instructions are there on how to set it up, and it really, really works well. Now, these are $99 brand new from Apple, and they are uh, 802.11n now. So yeah, they're a lot right. faster than they well, used to be. Well, but the they're also that, backwards compatible. They're also they're BGN compatible. Right. 
and and I what? think that that mode of using it as a as a network bridge is if you've got a if you've got a really old Mac, um, you know, so you want get the, one of the first gen twelve inch PowerBooks, which uh, doesn't have um, airport. Not all not all of them had airport in them. They right. of course they all have Ethernet jacks on, which means that's a really good way of of adding wireless to it because or uh, any computer, you know, you get, PC or Mac. Exactly. It's a very functional way of adding wireless to a computer and really gives you a, a very powerful uh, networking device, much more than, uh, than you know, just adding a USB dongle or a card or something like that. Two, two things to add uh, before we end this segment that are very helpful. Two things Apple has done to improve the overall wireless network system that they've developed is, number one, in the new Airport Extreme, they have made that a now simultaneous dual band uh, have, has that capability, yeah. which means now it can run. Whereas before, if if you brought in, let's say you, you're running an N, and then you have an older Bring system that can only run B, brings everything down. Now with this new simultaneous band, no matter what type you have, you know B, G, N, all all things can run. They can run both bands, so you don't get. If you're running an N, it's going to run at N speeds. If you run a B, it's going to run at B speeds, which is really great. Secondarily. Um, for those people who have either an iPhone or an iPod Touch, you can download the Apple remote software for your iPhone or iPod Touch and control your whole network, including anything that's hooked up to the to the air, uh, airport the, the airport Express. Express connection. So that's those are really uh, helpful when you're wanting to expand this network and make it more usable. I do want to make one. Cor- go ahead. I was going to say, Keyspan also do an uh, infrared remote device that you can use with the Airport Express. So um, yeah. if you don't have iPhone or, uh, or iPod Touch and you want to be able to control music, say, in your living room from your, from your Mac over Airport Express, then you can yeah. get just an infrared remote to do that as well. I, I do want to make one correction, Guy. You said it's BGNN. It's actually ABGNN compatible. Yeah. So if it's oh, a wire- really? Yeah, so if it's a... Well, the new ones, anyways. So if it's okay. a wireless standard out there... The Airport Express base station, the new one, the N model for ninety nine bucks through the Apple Store, it's going to work fine. Well, they must have they must have added A for for the Windows crowd because I don't think Apple ever used A. No, they didn't. But um, yeah, I think they probably did for the Windows crowd. And a lot of people not? use A now. Yeah, a lot of people use A now because it runs at a different frequency than than the others. And so, if you've got network congestion, then A is a good option for you. Yeah, as long as you don't have to go too far. Right. <laughs> So that's going to wrap up the MyMac podcast this week. We want to thank our sponsor, Otherworld Computing. And, of course, I want, to thank, I want to thank you guys, in particular, Guy, David, and Mark, for being on the show. Uh, we would love to hear feedback from you guys, feedback at MyMac.com. And if you get got a few minutes and you go up to the MyMac website for the show notes, we have a link up there. It's called Please Review Our Show. And click that. It'll go into iTunes. And simply give us a review in iTunes. We're trying to, to boost those reviews up. So exactly. we really appreciate your help, help on us that. Out. Anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up this week's show? I'm Just good. say to follow, you follow us on Twitter. Um, you can find me at David B. Cohen on Twitter. I'm MyMac. And I'm, and I'm MyMac. Uh, MyMac 0809, excuse me. I'm uh, Mac. Am I? I think I'm Mac Parrot. I'm either Mac Parrot or Mac Hippie no, at Mac uh, Twitter. Mac Parrot at Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if it gets confusing, just remember my Mac and, and uh, follow me on Twitter and say, "Hey, what's the other guys?" And I'll send you yeah. a list. So, <laughs> we'll send you the list. We'll, we'll get it out there. If so, you're going to send me mail, it's Guy Searle. I, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, there you go. 
So anyways, guys, we're out of here. We'll be back uh, next week. And I have no idea what we're going to talk about next week yet. We haven't, we haven't made plans that far in advance. So it'll but be it'll something be cool. Absolutely. See you later. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast. 